Now, so I've been sharing with you just about uh, what it means to live by faith. And, you know, and I believe that many times is that we think we know what that means until we actually have to live by faith. And, you know, I'll just share this one thought with you uh, that I shared with you a couple weeks ago is that uh, living by faith is not having everything certain all the time. Uh, quite the opposite. I think that faith is, is, we have to have faith. Why? Because there are uncertain things. There are uncertain times. There are questions that we may not have answered. And, uh, you know, and, but I want to share with you this morning, the title of my message is Following Jesus. And, um, you know, because as believers, uh, that's our number one call. That's our number one. I mean, yes, we're to be in relationship with God, but we're to be in relationship following his lead. Whoa, hello. So, you know, I, I mean, in, in practical terms, to follow means you have to allow somebody else to lead, does it not? Can you follow nobody? No. Following means that somebody is out in front of you that you're watching, paying attention to, following their steps, if you will. And so, uh, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 18. And this is the original call to Jesus' disciples. So, kind of in the story of Jesus' life, this is what's happened. He has been baptized by, the, by John the Baptist. Um, he has gone into the wilderness for 40 days. The Bible says that he prayed, fasted. Uh, the devil tempted him for 40 days. And right on the heels of him coming out, the Bible says right at the end of that 40 days, that Jesus was strengthened. For what? He was strengthened for the call that was on his life. He was strengthened for the mission that God had for him. But as soon as Jesus comes out from meeting with God, he begins to connect with somebody. And we see the call here of the first disciples. And it says here in verse 18 of Matthew 4, it says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them and says, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Or other translations say, I will make you fishers of men. And it says in verse 20, and they left their nets at once and followed him. So you could actually say the first step of following Jesus is this, is obedience. They didn't ask for all the questions. I mean, we don't even get the picture that Jesus even stopped to ask the question. I see it as that he was actually just walking by and says, hey, if you'll come follow me, I'm going to show you. But I don't believe that he even stopped. I believe he made the statement as he walked and they had a choice. They didn't have time to ask questions. Well, hey, what about this? And what about that? And how long are we going to be gone? I need to plan this. I got these things. It was just, if you want to learn how to stop catching fish and start catching people, come follow me. There wasn't a lot of detail or answer. And every account in the Gospels, this same, that's all the detail we have. Jesus didn't stop and say, hey, I've got a five-step plan that's going to radically change the earth. I'm the Messiah, and you get to be a part of this amazing story. And yet, so many times, that's how we do church. Well, what's in it for me? And how, how is this going to work? How is this going to work? And Jesus is just simply saying, come. Come and follow. I'll show you, but you're going to have to come. You're going to have to come and follow after me. If you want, in a sense, you could say it this way, is that what he said to them was that if you want to see something you've never seen, you've got to come follow me. Because you understand catching fish, but you don't know anything about catching people. But if you want to find out what I'm talking about, come and follow. 
It says in verse 21, a little while, while further up the shore, he saw two uh, other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with the father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. And it says immediately they followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. So we see four men had a decision. Two sets of brothers, but four individual men had the choice. Here's Jesus, who has really not made his arrival on the scene yet as the Messiah. Jesus hasn't worked the first miracle yet. They had no reason to follow him as of yet. Immediately following this, it says that he goes out and starts healing and doing and, and all these types of things. But yet the call to them was not something spectacular. Sometimes I think we are waiting for God to tell us to do something spectacular. Amazing, like, oh, well, that's worth interrupting my life for. And yet, that's not what Jesus said to them. All he said was, follow me. And you could say this, is that many times we're waiting on the spectacular and God is still waiting for us to be obedient. Because obedience precedes spectacular. Now, God will do spectacular things in us, for us, through us, all, yes. But obedience has to come first. And so many times, see, and that's why it takes faith to actually walk out what God has for you. Because you've got to move first. Now, God has already made his first move. Think of it like in checkers. You don't get to take multiple steps, right? You make a move, the other person makes a move. Chess is the same way, which I know nothing about chess. So, you know, but I do know that there is an order to it. You get one move. You get one move, one move, one, and it's this back and forth. Well, God has already made his move in Christ. So now he's waiting on us to make a move before he's going to move again. Now, this can play out in many areas in many ways. But obedience always precedes. And many times it's simple things that we may overlook or, or, or kind of push to the side or not pay attention to that I believe are actually holding us back from moving forward in our walk with the Lord. And many times it's little areas of obedience. And just as he says here, he simply says to the men, come and follow me. Now, what does it look like for us today? Because to them, they were fishermen. That's, that's what the world that they knew. Jesus says, come, follow me. They left their nets. They forsook everything. They walked away from everything to just go somewhere with some guy that they had just met. That seems a little crazy, by the way. Where are we going? I don't know, but there's something about this guy that intrigues me. At best, we can say they were intrigued because they went. But does that mean that today for us to follow Christ means that we have to quit our jobs, we have to walk away from everything? Although some of you may say, hey, can, where did I sign up for that? <laughs> but does it mean that we just forsake everything and we just go and love people everywhere? Or is it a little different today? I believe that it is a little different. You know, throughout Scripture, one of the things that, and this isn't reserved to Christ at all, but the, the term disciple we see throughout Scripture, but it, it, it's applied in many other uh, facets, if you will, and many other disciplines. You see it a lot in the um, like martial arts world. You go and you you know you go and learn a discipline, taekwondo, karate, whatever it may be. 
Well, they have pretty similar terms to even that what we see throughout Scripture, like the sensei, the guy who's in charge. What do they call him? Anybody know? Anybody ever seen a Chuck Norris or master? Master so-and-so. And what do they do? They do that, right? What are they doing? They're acknowledging that you know more than me and that you're in charge and I'm going to do what you tell me even when I don't understand. Now, I'm going to throw this way back, but most of you in this room are going to understand this. Remember the movie The Karate Kid? Daniel's son? And Mr. Miyagi? Mr. Miyagi says what? I want you to go buff my cars. Exactly. Y'all all know. Wax on. Wax off. Wax on. Wax off. And when he finished the first car, what did he do? Here's another car. Here's another car. And he's thinking, dude, I came to you to learn something. And what did Miyagi say? Wax on. Wax off. What's the... And the whole time, Daniel's kind of perturbed. Why? Because he doesn't understand the lesson that is being taught. He thinks, I'm out here waxing this dude's car. But he had made a commitment, and Miyagi had made a commitment too, that says, hey, if you'll come, I will teach you. Well, it just seemed like Mr. Miyagi was getting a nice cars, nice yard, all these things. You know, I mean, all the, all, it seemed like his, his house was getting put in order, and Daniel was just doing a lot of work. Built a fence, stained the fence. Bought the cars, made them all look good. And it seemed like, until when? Until it was time for Daniel to fight. Then the lessons became clear. But there had to be trust, even though it might have been frustrated at times, because there's no doubt that it was. There had to be trust, number one, in the man, but also in the process of what he was doing. Well, that is true for us even today. Is that we have to trust that, number one, Jesus loves us, has his best intentions for us, and that ultimately it's going to produce God's ultimate plan in our life. Doesn't mean we always understand the moments. It doesn't. I wish it did. There are still things that I have questions about that when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord. I think I will anyways. Maybe I won't. Maybe I won't care. In my logical, earthly brain, I've got questions that I still want answers to. When I get to heaven, I may say, it doesn't even matter. I don't remember what those questions were. He may be so glorious, who cares? It will be glorious, no doubt, but it may be so glorious that I just don't even care. But what does it mean to really, to follow Christ and to really surrender? See, we don't like that word, and we're like, we're Americans. I've got freedoms. Yes, you do. But as a believer, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you have willingly, freely... Now, this is the way it's supposed to work. And many people think they have done this, but in actuality, they have not done it. You have freely and willingly laid down your freedom and brought yourself under another. It's actually in terms of, you know, Paul used this term. He says, I'm a bond servant, which simply means it's a freed slave who chooses to stay with the master. That's what that term actually means. And as believers, we are called to follow after Christ. Well, it doesn't mean that we just leave our families or that we leave our jobs or that we just get all crazy and weird. 
That's not what it means. But what it does mean is that now we have a life of obedience. We are no longer in charge, even though we fight to be. We all do. Every single one of us fight to be in control. You're like, well, I'm not a control freak. Sure you are. Everybody is at varying degrees. And especially when it comes to our own heart, our own life, because we fight for that. We don't want somebody else telling us what to do. You know, and so, you know, it doesn't mean that we lay everything down. But what it does mean is that we put Christ in the position of authority. We put him in the driver's seat of our life. We simply say, Lord, I recognize that you are the Lord of my life. I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. What I say doesn't go anymore. In, if we're going to truly live the life that God has for us. Now, that may seem like you're getting shortchanged on the surface. But when you understand what that is about, in the end it produces what God wants in us. But there is a following that has to happen. A continual following. It's more than just praying, saying, Lord, you know, because... Well, let me get a couple things before I get into that part. The word disciple simply means this. It's a fully devoted follower of God. In biblical terms, it's a fully devoted follower of Christ. So you could also say this, is that it's a disciplined follower. It will be hard for you to be who God wants you to be and be undisciplined. Now, that's another word we don't like. We don't like submission. We don't like discipline. We don't like exercise. We don't like certain words. Why? Because they require something of us that we just don't really want to do. Here's another definition that I want to give you, though, about a disciple. It's a determined student. A determined student. See, we look at the disciples and we say, man, they were a bunch of goofballs. They had all kinds of issues. They had all kinds of stuff going on. But what they did understand was that Jesus had the answers that they needed and they stayed. Peter messed up a lot, but Peter learned. He learned. Even through his mistakes, he still learned. I mean, Jesus never expelled Peter from the inner circle. He never said, okay, Peter, that's all the... I gave you seven chances, man. That's it. I'm done. Go back to fishing. Quite the opposite. He says, Peter, you failed, but get up. Get up, Peter. I mean, I, I love the account there at the towards the end of Jesus' life. And he's, you know, Peter's declaring like, Lord, I'll follow you to death and all these things. And he says, Peter, the devil's asked for you, but I've prayed for you. He says, and when you're restored, strengthen your brethren. In other words, he tells Peter ahead of time, you're about to screw up, but I've still got something for you on the other side of that screw up. So Peter, don't just quit because you fail. Keep following. Here's the instruction so that you know what to do after your failure. Peter, I prayed for you. Keep following. Just keep following, Peter. You don't have to be perfect, but just keep following. See, we have to be a determined student. Here's the thing about a student. Do you just learn it? I mean, like, take it back to when you were in school, whether it be grade school, college, whatever. 
Did you only study in the classroom? Or did you have to study outside of the classroom? Did you have some extracurricular education? That's a fancy way of saying homework. (laughs) See, what happens is that in school we understand that. Man, I've got to educate. I've got to learn. There's something that happens to us as humans that once we get out of school, we just kind of start to fight against education. But yet we should actually constantly be learning and growing and and developing constantly. Why? Because your mind is a muscle. So you need to exercise that muscle just like you do your physical body. But how does that relate and, and play out in our spiritual life? Quite practically, Jesus never intended for church to be a church service to be what sustains you every day. There has to be some extracurricular application of Scripture into your life. Why? Because that's the instructions that we see throughout Scripture. Meditate on this word day and night. For what purpose? Because in doing so, it will bring about good success. That's what God's promise was to Joshua. It says it would bring courage and strength and into you, but it would bring about success, keeping God's word hidden in your heart. Well, how do I get to know Jesus? First and foremost, I can get to know him through the word. I mean, the Bible says he is the word made flesh, John chapter 1. He is is in the word of God. If you want to get to know Jesus, look in scripture. He's in every book of the Bible. Now, I may not say Jesus is here or this is here, but he is there at some facet, at some degree, in every, there's a thread of the Messiah throughout every book of the Bible. And you can see him there. But we have to be a determined student. That means there's some discipline involved in this, some application involved to follow Christ. Now, you know, even as I've been sharing with you about this and even about, you know, because it it can sound when we talk about this like, well, he's the Lord of my life. He's in charge. Yes, that's true. But it can make it sound like, well, I'm just a robot then and I no longer have choice. And I know, you know, and it sounds like I'm giving up something for what doesn't sound to be that great. But yet Jesus gives us an instructions in Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 24. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Other translation or other places, even other accounts in the gospel say, take up your cross daily. It's not weekly, it's not monthly, it's not yearly, it's daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Verse 25 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Other places, it words it like this. If you give up uh, your life for my sake, you will find true life, real life. So we're not getting shortchanged, we're actually getting an upgrade. See, when we actually follow after Christ wholeheartedly, fully devoted, fully disciplined, walking after Him, we begin to walk in newness of life that is better than the life that we gave up. God is not taking anything from us. He is trying to get something to us. It's no different than when we got saved. We were singing about it a few minutes ago. When you called my name, I came running out of the grave. A place of death, right? 
And I came running to what? Not to death. I ran out of death into life. And so anytime that God is requiring anything of us, it is always for our benefit and always for our blessing. It is always for our increase. Now, that plays out in every area of our life. But here he says, look, if, you'll, if you cling to your life, let me say it this way. If you cling to control, you're going to lose control. If you'll just let go and follow me, let go and trust me, I'm going to lead you to real life, to real peace, to real joy, to real comfort, to a real understanding of who God is and what he desires to be in your heart. But you've got to trust the process. You've got to trust Jesus. And the Bible says that all truth is in him. All truth is in him. So we have to allow him to lead us and to guide us, to take us. Why? Because we're the student and he's the teacher. I never once got to go to a teacher and say, here's the test I want to take. Here's the curriculum that I would like you to cover. Why? Because I was the student. They were the teacher. They were defined roles. I didn't get to take a test and say, well, I answered the ones that I thought I knew, so I just want you to grade the ones that I answered. If I knew I didn't know, I just left it blank. So I would appreciate it if you just wouldn't count those. That would be amazing. I would have been a better student. It doesn't work like that. I was the student. They were the teacher. See, the same thing is true in our walk with the Lord as well. We can fight to keep, fight to keep, fight to keep, and not realizing that we're the ones shortchanging ourselves. Because what God wants to do, even through our following Christ, which ultimately, what is following Christ about? I can simplify it real. It's becoming more and more like him. The more I hang around somebody, the more I pick up their attributes. I mean, if me and you were to hang out for a week or two, you would probably start picking up on things I would say. I'd start picking up on things you would say, and I would begin to say them. Ultimately, following Christ is about that. I want him to rub off on me. I want to become more and more and more like him. I want to become more like the likeness of Christ. Why? Because that's the ultimate goal. I mean, is there anything better on the planet than that? To be able to say, man... I. I mean, that's the best compliment anybody can give me. I see Jesus in you. That's what I want. That's all I want. I don't want people to say I'm smart or that all these other attributes that are meaningless. Why? Because that one is eternal. That lasts forever. That's what's of real value. So Jesus makes a statement says you can hang on or cling to your life. He says, you will lose it. He says, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Verse 26 says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? And he says, is anything worth more than your soul? And is anything worth more than, than your life with God? Well, the answer is no. 
Absolutely not. Why? Because that's the part that's eternal. Lives forever. I mean, he says, look, if you gained everything in the world you could ever want, would it be worth it if you went to hell? I mean, that's ultimately what Jesus is saying. He doesn't word it like that, but that is what he's saying. If you had all the money, whatever, whatever you, however you define success and whatever would be the ultimate in your mind, if you attained everything in this life you could ever want, but you went to hell, would it be worth it? No, it's absolutely not. That's no trade that anybody would willingly make. But yet, we also make those decisions a lot. Maybe it's not for ultimately being sent to hell, but many times we'll make decisions in our life, in our day-to-day life, that what? Produces hell in our life. In our right now. I mean, we know from Scripture that God's will is what? It's for our good, it's for our blessing, it's for, it is for, to bring about His plans and purpose. Well, He's good and He does nothing but good. And yet, we can make decisions daily, routinely, that continue to allow Satan to work in our life, robbing us of the blessings of God that He wants to do in our life. Why? Because we're not following Christ in that decision. Now, you know, I can choose to talk to my wife any way I want. Doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it's beneficial. Doesn't mean it's going to help my marriage. Doesn't mean Jesus is pleased with it either. But there have been times where we are in a disagreement. And I get that nudge of the Holy Spirit. Saying, David, apologize. I'm not wrong. It would make it a lot easier for me if he would qualify. You're right, apologize anyways. No problem. I can handle that. He never addresses that side of it. So apparently if he's telling me to apologize, it's because I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. So what do I have? I have a choice in that moment. Am I going to follow Jesus? Or am I going to follow David? Because God's desire is that I would follow Christ to love my wife as he loves the church, giving up myself for her. We don't like those verses. Men, that's, uh, as married men, that's our call. We give up our lives for our families, for our wives. Laying down ourselves as Christ laid down his. Well, for me as a man, as a husband and as a father, if I'm going to follow Christ, that means I've got to let him lead me. Now, I can choose to follow David, but I also reap what David produces. And what David produces is no different than what Adam produced, which was sin, separation from God. In this example, separation from my wife, that's what David produces. But when I'm allowing Jesus to to lead me, he makes me a better man. He makes me a better husband. He makes me a better father. Not because I'm right, but because I'm wrong, but he helps me. Now that can apply to you in any area of your life. 
There may be things at work that aren't right. And yet you know in your heart that the Holy Spirit's just nudging you. Keep your mouth shut. But I, I, I need to say something. Are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to follow yourself? I mean, look, I, I mean, I have many examples of people who followed themselves and got fired. Because they didn't. Cause, and after they even said, I knew I should have kept my mouth shut. Maybe you should have. Because you would still be employed. But that wasn't God's best. Now, I'm not saying that you just sit back and take it. And, no, that's not what I'm saying. You let the Lord lead you. Now is the time to say something. This is the right way to say that. I had to learn that lesson the hard way. It's not always what you say, it's how you say it. That's a lesson I'm still learning, you know. And I've, over and over and over, and I've seen that, you know, even as, even as Proverbs says, the right word at the right moment will turn away anger. So even take it outside of the family, take it into your work environment. Your boss is ticked. If you give the right word at the right moment, you can diffuse the situation. But you're going to have to have Christ to lead you in that. See, following Christ daily is very practical. If we say, oh, I follow God, and you know, he's the Lord of my life, and, but we never make it, like, daily, we get a lot of gray that we get to play in. But when we break it down to the day-to-day, I mean, like, just to have this thought, hopefully it'll stick with you. What would happen if every night you asked the Lord, did I follow you today? Today. Like, at the end of my day, did today, did I follow you? Did I listen to your voice? Was I obedient today? Or did I do what I wanted to do? I believe if we had asked ourselves that question, it would do us very well. Why? Because it makes life daily. It's not just, oh, Jesus is Lord out there. It doesn't matter if Jesus is Lord out there. It matters if he's Lord in here. That's where it makes the difference. And, that, and that's what we're called to. And that's really what it's talking about here. It says, what benefit is it if you gain the whole world? There are lots of people who have gained money, success on, on that level, and yet lost their family. It's not really worth that. But what happens when we would begin to ask that question, Lord, did I follow you today? Today. Not just in a week. A lot of things happen in a week. But yet I can remember today. You know, uh, one of the things that you guys gave us as a gift was y'all gave me a watch. And it's funny because it has an app. And every day it pops up and says, take a deep breath for a minute. Just breathe. It actually says, breathe on it. It's kind of funny, but I thought it was kind of weird, but I did it anyway. I was like, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> Give it a whirl. So I just stopped what I was doing. 60 seconds. And it's like, breathe in, take a deep breath, and breathe out. And you do it like three or four times, I don't know. But it's amazing how just even a small, simple instruction... Like that, and I'm like, I feel a little better. Just taking a deep breath. You know, there are aspects where God will do that to us as well. And honestly, 
How else are you going to learn if you never ask the question? How are you going to learn to follow God if you didn't ask him, Lord, did I follow you today? And and the Lord never comes from the uh, perspective of to make you feel guilty. Now, he may remind you of a situation like, well, since you asked. I mean, my wife loves me and she doesn't nag me, hound me, all those kinds of things. But yet I bet if I asked her every day, did I honor you today? Did I love you well today? I would probably venture to find out there were some areas that I wasn't quite as good as I thought I was. But because I knew it, I could change it and I could be better. Now, I could not take offense to her statement either. That's the key. What would happen if we begin to talk to the Lord like that? Lord, is there any area that I didn't follow you in today? Was there anything, was there any instruction that I missed? Was there anything that I pushed aside and just said, that wasn't you? And it, it, look, and it may be from a good intention place. The Lord may prompt you to do something or to say something to somebody, and you're like, I, just, I don't know, that's kind of weird. I don't know if that's the Lord. And you push it aside. Well, you just kind of blow it. What about at the end of the day if you ask the Lord? Lord, was that you? He says, yeah, that was me. Oh, okay. Next time I sense that, I, I'm going to know that was you. So the next time it happens, I'm going to act. I'm not going to push it aside because that was you. That's allowing the Lord to lead you. See, many many Christians, they want to keep Jesus as Savior. Why? Because keeping him as Savior means I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven, you know, all the blessings that come with him laying down his life, you know, keep him on the cross, let him rise from the grave. That's all great. But the Bible says that he's coming back as a triumphant king. That shouldn't be news to us as Christians. He should already be that triumphant king in our life. See, it's different when we give him place as Lord. Let me say it like this. You can worship a Savior, but not give him place as Lord. People can come to church. They can worship. They can sing and say, God's amazing. God's just spectacular. Praise the Lord. But what about following him? You can worship somebody you don't follow. People do it all the time. I mean, you ain't got to look real far. We're in the midst of, you know, football season. People worship those teams. They wear the clothes. They do all this. But that doesn't dictate dictate their decision today. They have a perceived relationship, but no real substance. There's a lot of Christians that are there. They have the perception of relationship. But the only way to have relationship is that it's in the proper order. We as students can't put ourselves above the teacher. The teacher has to be in right place. If you've ever been in a classroom where the students overtook the classroom, what happened? It's chaos. I was involved in some of that. I was probably a perpetuator of that. Well, the same thing is true. When we get our priorities and we put ourselves in that place of of authority and control in our life, Jesus is no longer leading. We're now leading. We're no longer following. And yet Jesus called and said, follow. 
follow me. So Jesus doesn't come to just be added to an addition to our life. Like, hey, this is my church box, and God, this is where you stay. I don't want you talking to me at work when I'm mad because something didn't go right or somebody didn't come through and do what they said. I want to be able to say whatever I need to say to them and not feel bad about it later. Well, that's not very Christ-like, is it? And there have been lots of times, more times than not, that when I'm good and frustrated that the Lord says, keep your mouth shut. I don't want to keep my mouth shut. I've got something to say. And they need to hear it. I need to bless them with this word that I have for them. And the Lord says, no. Lord, just look the other way. I just need like a minute. Just a minute. He says, no. It's not that he, it's not like I hear no, but I just know in my heart. There's just this knowing in my spirit says, you better keep your mouth shut, sucker. Because the fallout from what you're about to do is going to be much worse than what you perceive. Doesn't mean that it doesn't get handled. Sometimes we have to just allow the Lord to handle it. But that takes trust. Just follow. Follow me. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a passage of Scripture that really gives us a clear picture now in context of what this verse is saying, but the principle is still true. He's talking about sexual immorality. Like, well, what does that mean? You're not involved with anybody you ain't married to. Let's keep it simple. Keep it simple and clean, right? If you're not married, it's a no. That's the way it is. Verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul makes the same. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God and that you do not belong to yourself? Verse 20 says, for God has bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You are no longer your own. We were bought with what? The Bible says the precious holy blood of Christ that was shed for us. See, we see salvation sometimes as, well, I got off the hook. But God sees it now as you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to what? To follow after Him. To grow in your understanding, to grow in your knowledge of Him. Well, how do I do that? Through the Word, through spending time in His presence, by coming to church, by doing these things, by being in relationship with other believers that they can speak into your life and having some accountability. It's another one of them words we just don't really care for. You know, before, I mean, as Christians, before we're ever accountable to somebody, we have to first be accountable to God. Realizing the Bible says that there will be a time where we will give an account for our life. We may not feel that accountability, but there will be a day where we will be held ultimately accountable for our lives. Well, I want to make sure that that being held accountable is as painless as possible. How's that going to happen? If I follow Jesus, he's going to lead me in a life that would be honoring to God, not perfect, but I'm going to learn 
And I'm going to grow and I'm going to develop. And I'm going to do that one day at a time. One moment at a time. At the end of the day, Lord, did I, did I follow you today? Was there anything that you asked me to do that I didn't do, that I didn't follow through with? Any instructions that I didn't heed or pay attention to? We're called to follow. Quite honestly, as human beings, we were never built to lead. Adam and Eve were in constant relationship with God. When sin came in, there was separation from God, which put them in the lead, in a sense. In truth, we're never in the lead, in actual reality. We're either alive unto God or we're dead unto sin, but somebody else is leading us. We just have the idea that we're in control, that we're in charge. In truth, we're, no, we're not. We are all led by something. But we want to make sure that we're led by the right person. By the right things from the right motives. Why? Because only one of them produces good things in our life. Only one of them produces the blessings of God in our life. And that's following Christ. So I have a question, you know, for you this morning. That I really want you to, as we worship together, I want, you know, I really want you to think about this question as we worship together before we leave this morning. And it's this. In what areas of your life have you not made Jesus the Lord over? Now this is as broad and as varied as the number of people sitting in this room right now. Because we're all at different places in our walk with the Lord. There's things that I've overcome that I no longer deal with that you may be dealing with right now. But just because I overcame that doesn't mean I don't have something else that I'm currently dealing with or trying to give the Lord full access and, and control of my life in. So I want you to think about this question and ask the Lord, just like I've been talking about each night, asking the Lord, Lord, did I follow you today? In this moment, I want you to ask the Lord, is there any area of my life that I've not made you the Lord over? In other words, that I give you control. Is it in my marriage? Is it in my family? Is it in my finances? Is it at work? What is it? Is it with the words of my mouth? I mean, all of those little things, is it in the thoughts of my mind? Is there any area that I'm not following you in? And then whatever the Holy Spirit would prompt in you, now you have something that you can actively move towards and say, okay, I'm going to work in this area of my life. And here's the good news for you. Anything that God reveals to you, He also brings you the ability. It's actually already in you, but He will give you the ability to overcome it to move beyond it, to to grow in that area of your life. But light brings about revelation, but then there's also the ability to do something about it.